Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the Endurance Horse Podcast. It is nearing the end of February here in Wisconsin, and while there is a lot of snow on the ground and a ton of ice underneath that snow, the birds have started to sing kind of a spring song, so I'm hoping for an early spring here. This episode has a theme woven through it on crewing or strapping as it is known in some other parts of the world. We have a special story shared by Carrie Barris. Her passion is riding tie and she is an amazing ride and tie competitor. Carrie shares a story about how her crew really came around her at a hard time in her life. And Ride Camp does not end the support that this great community of endurance gives each other. No matter which level of endurance you ride at, hundreds, LDs, ride and tie, it's one community. The bonds we form at Ride Camp, around a campfire, out on the trail, those transcend over into the rest of our life. And I think you'll hear that throughout this episode. It's going to be a little bit of a longer episode, but that's the beauty of a podcast. You can pause it and restart it later on. To prepare for the intro of episode 15, I searched for the definition of crew. I didn't find any word or definitions that quite encompassed what crewing and what your crew means to you, what they do for you. Looked up strapping. Again, it didn't quite fit and encompass everything that people do for you at a ride. I will spare you those definitions because they really did not fit. The other word I thought of was family because people come around each other so much to help. Even Tara has said when she had never had a crew before, but my little hike family, (laughs) they're just used to pitching in and helping everybody and she's like, wow, I'm surrounded by help, you know, and I think that is a great feeling to have. I'm not sure how I thought of this word that came up, but the next word I looked up the definition of was, just hold off on your preconceived notions of this word, but the word was minister because I think I've heard that in church a lot. Somebody ministers to somebody. So I looked up the word minister, not the noun part of minister, the verb minister. And the word minister means to attend to the needs of someone else, to give care and support and service to. And I think that that definition fits perfectly. Thank you, crew. Thank you for ministering and caring for everyone. Without further ado, I bring to you episode 15 of the Endurance Horse Podcast. May you laugh, you might cry, I hope you learn something, and above all, be inspired. Hi everybody, Jenny Chandler here from New Zealand, still sweltering in our summer and watching all you Americans dealing with Massive amounts of snow. You can probably hear the cicadas. Christina was telling me that a lot of you enjoyed hearing my hens in the background. And this week I have a sad hen story to tell. Um, Of my six chickens, I just lost two. Um, Neighbour's dog. We've got some new neighbours. Turns out they have a young dog who 
didn't know to stay put and it came over and killed two of my chickens. Velma, the blind one, got injured and Alice disappeared altogether later to be, at least her body got found and that meant they admitted that it was their dog that had killed them. But Velma had two broken legs so we had to get a put down. So we're a bit sad here at the moment. Moving on to endurance things, I don't really have any crew stories as such. I mean, crew are awesome and I just love having crew and when I don't have crew, by golly, you really miss them. And I'm sure that there have been times when I've come in off a loop um, and they haven't been quite ready and you have your crew running to, to meet you at the finish line. But um, I can't really remember when those times were. The vast majority of the time they're there waiting with a lead rope um, as you cross the line. In fact, one of my regular crew, Richard, he likes to brag um, that he knows exactly when I'm going to turn up because I do like to be quite consistent in my loop time. So he goes around bragging and telling people, oh, she'll be here in 20 minutes. And I try not to let him down. So just a few things about what my crew do that are fantastic and see if I come up with anything interesting. So as they meet me over the line, particularly in the big rides where we're really trying to get the horse's heart rate down quickly. They'll be there with their lead rope. They'll also have a bucket of cold water that's had ice in it. So we'll get the saddle off as quick as possible, even if we don't have to weigh up that loop. Get the saddle off, put it somewhere, or another crew member will grab the saddle. Get some water on the horse's neck straight away as you walk towards your crewing area. Um, We've got this great thing in New Zealand now, um, and I know there are in other parts of the world, we've got a water boy, which is like a portable hose, and you can put ice in that, so then you can hose them down rather than just bucket and sponge, and that's awesome. Then we have, often I end up just holding, holding the horse while crew are putting on water, iced water if it's hot, monitoring the heart rate, and I'll be taking off my gloves if I've got them on, and maybe put, getting a sponge on the horse's face, taking the heart rate, going for little walks um, to help the heart rate come down, and then into the vet ring as soon as possible. And another great thing is to have someone who's good at trotting your horse up, someone on your crew who can do the trot up for you, because my feet often get very sore um, when I'm riding, and it's great not to have to do that run. I can often do the early ones, but later on in the ride, I'm kind of hobbling a bit. And even if you are feeling fine, it's actually really useful to see your horse trot up um, and hear any comments that the vet makes. And I sure know that Lisa, if we've got Lisa on my crew, I always get Lisa to trot Tigger up because she trots him up better than I do. Um, and... You know, that's just worth worth so much to have someone who's really good at trotting your horse out for you. Um, and in the holds, what can you say about crew in the holds? To be able to just sit there, often, you know, they'll have set up, we've got a, if if we're not going back to the truck during the hold, we'll have a pen set up for the horse, we'll have a, an easy up, a shelter for the rider, there'll be a chair there, there'll be 
all sorts of food for me. Often if it's cold, they've got me a hot drink and a thermos. And then they're there looking after the horse. So all I have to do is sit and watch. Um, the ice boots go on. He's got whatever food he wants. Um, if he's not eating that, they'll try something else. The ice boots are getting topped up with cold water for about 20 minutes every five minutes or so, pouring ice water down those boots to keep them cold. Um, you know, checking his heart rate, making sure, you know, everything's okay. And Tigger loves that. You know, he loves to be the centre of attention. You know, they get a massage and a big ride. I'll often um, try and organise someone to be there who can give them a massage. But if not, Kerry is um, a human massage person, so she's pretty good at, at um, giving, giving the horses a bit of a massage as well, and that's really important. Getting finding out any problems before they happen, you know. And if you don't have crew, what have you got? You're trying to feed yourself. You've got to go to the toilet. You've got to do all the things to look after yourself to get you to get yourself ready to get through the next loop. But instead of being able to do that, you're running around trying to look after your horse and ending up doing neither of them properly. So any crew are good, and having your own crew who you know and work with well and you've they know your horse they know you you know Kerry knows when I'm about to to collapse in a little sodden heap and you know she can give me a bit of a bolster and make sure I'm good to go on the next loop um usually I keep going through the ride it's usually the next day that I'm pretty hopeless um but they get to know you and they know what you need to get through and then of course there was Tevis and those of you who have listened to the podcasts know about my sister deciding that I needed my own crew at Tevis and sending Daryl all the way from New Zealand to spend a couple of weeks in California with me and look after me on Tevis. And that was just so awesome. Again, Daryl lives three hours drive away. She doesn't normally crew for me, but just to have another Kiwi there who understands how how we think and we work together in other things. We, be, we, we belong to the same endurance club. So we do know each other, but we've never crewed for each other. Um, and it was just awesome to have a, another Kiwi there looking after me, knowing the sorts of things that I would need, that I would want. And, yeah, just so grateful to both Daryl and my sister for organising that. It made it even more special. Yeah, can't really sing the praises of crew enough, really. Any crew, a good crew, even if it's just somebody who can meet you when you come in with a lead rope, who can hold your horse while you sponge it down, you know, and go and fetch things for you during the hold. Even if they don't know anything about horses, it's still great to have them. And they pick up things, the good ones will pick up things really quickly. Yeah, that's about it. Catch you later. Bye. Hey, this is Binky Tunney coming at you again from southeastern Wisconsin with installment number two of How I Discovered Distance Riding. Um, the last episode I was talking about trials and tribulations just getting started. Lots of logistical issues. I'm on trailer number three right now. Uh, for a while, I owned a trailer and no truck. <laughs> um, now I, I own a truck, but it's in the shop. It's getting a new engine. Um, the first horse that I started the sport with we just did the novice rides smoky um as soon as i was ready to bump up to the 25s uh he developed some arthritis in his shoulder so then i moved on to night tripper 
And as soon as we were ready to bump up to the 50s, we discovered some really severe arthritis in his hocks. And that is sort of where we left off last time. I had only had him a few years and I loved him. <laughs> so I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to get rid of the horse. I didn't want to quit the sport. And so I was looking into things like hock injections. And I just sort of took the winter off to think about where to go from there. And I had a few friends that I talked to. One was his original mom, Rachel Nanstead. Um, she had some, some good thoughts. And I wanted to make sure that whatever decision I made was okay with her because she had entrusted me with her child, Night Tripper. Um, also, I board at a place with a guy named Bill, who is a brother of my friend Mary. <laughs> so Bill and Mary, um, they really talked me off the cliff a couple times. It kept me from doing something stupid, like buying a foal. <laughs> um, and so... I was thinking, well, maybe me and Tripp could just take a year off from competing and lead the novice rides. But it soon became apparent to me that that wouldn't be fair to him because he really did actually need to go at his own pace. So I asked Bill if he would be willing to take Night Tripper and make make Night Tripper his own horse. And Bill was thrilled. <laughs> and so I was thrilled that Bill was thrilled and the horse was thrilled because he loved Bill and everyone was happy. And so my search began for a, a new partner in crime. So I turned again to Facebook. Oh my God, I love Facebook so much. I cannot tell you how much Facebook has enhanced my horse life. Um, I put a funny ad out there on the Wisconsin Horse Network um, said something like, looking for a cheap Arabian for endurance, and um, maybe you have a horse that killed your child and your husband's threatening divorce over, but you love, love, love it and want to see pictures of it on Facebook all the time, posing with trophies and ribbons, and you want me to call you every time he does something cute or if he poops, you know, give, give me a call. I will give him a great home. And I ended up getting 200 replies, like instantly, 200 replies in about two days. Um, and I narrowed it down to 50, 50 horses that were under $1,000. They were all Arabians. They were all within a decent driving distance. And I, I just couldn't make up my mind. Um, so I, I was drinking heavily and looking, <laughs> looking into these replies and uh, the one struck me, uh, Charlene Felons was the seller, uh, who said she would never ever sell this horse, but she thought the horse was, would be perfect for me and I would be perfect for the horse. And she had a, a video up on YouTube of him being obnoxious. And she had music playing in the background, which just happened to be Fight for Your Right to Party by the Beastie Boys. So I had been playing in a rock band for 10 years. Uh, we were called Binky Tunny and the Farmland Chokehold. And Fight for Your Right to Party by the Beastie Boys was one of our signature songs that we would do at every single show. So I thought, for sure, this is a sign from God. You have to go buy this horse. And um, he was only $500. So the price was right. <laughs> so on April 1st of 2017, I went to go buy myself a 40th birthday present, which was Titan the Terrible. So Charlene did mention that he wasn't really trained at all and he was pretty spoiled and naughty. 
So the army had um, pretty much told me I needed to change military occupational specialties. So I was switching from human resources to being a cannon crew member in the field artillery. And I was supposed to be going to cannon school in May, which was relatively close to Rachel Nanstead, who had sold me Night Tripper, who she's just an, an incredible trainer. Thought I thought, well, I'll buy this horse. I'll drop it off at Rachel's place. She'll put some groundwork on him. I'll go to my cannon school. And on the way back from cannon school, I'll just pick him up and take him home and he'll be great. Well, so I headed up to Charlotte's place to go see my $500 horse, and um, I hated him. He was terrible. <laughs> I mean, he looked real good. He had nice big bones. His feet were ginormous uh, and solid. Um, but our our test ride was less than stellar. It was 45 minutes of going left, right, backwards, up, down, up, down, and not forward at all. Like, he did not understand how to walk forward with a rider on him. So I thought it was probably going to be a terrible mistake, but Charlene was so charming that I just loaded him up in the trailer and took him over to Rachel's house as planned. Uh, I did notice there was some bumping and thumping back there in the trailer, but I just kept white knuckling it. And when I arrived at Rachel's place, I couldn't get the trailer open because he had kicked the door so hard that the lock was jammed and, uh, yeah, we had to get a hammer and bust him out of the trailer. So, <laughs> Anywho, I go to my cannon school and I, I did visit him a couple times while I was in that school. And uh, I was pretty amazed at what Rachel had done. Like she really did some serious work on this critter. So we started conditioning and training and I, I didn't want to overwhelm the poor horse by just starting him in competitions right away. So I just, I took him to one that was near home and we did not compete. We, I just wanted to see what he would act like in camp and he was actually fine in camp. I was so surprised and I was happy as a pig and poop again. <laughs> um, so I decided, well, Colorama's coming up. I'll just volunteer to lead some novice rides and just start him that way, see how he does. Well, that was a mistake. Like he was terrible to the novice horses. He was... I just, I found out he liked to kick other horses. <laughs> you know, that's not a great place to find out that your horse is a kicker is when you're leading a group of um, people that are very, very new to the sport and you, and you want them to love the sport. This is not good timing. But we ended up meeting this great chick named Beth Brandel. Um, Titan drew blood on her horse, Dig, and then we became Facebook friends and <laughs> the rest is history. So that's good. Um, so I decided I will, I will try this horse on a 25 and just see if maybe we could ride alone and just, just see how he does. And lo and behold, Titan took not only first place, but he took high point and I was thrilled to the gills. Amazing. So we ended the season trying to lead another novice, which was equally bad as the first couple we led. And then we hung it up for the year because it was the end of the season. So the following spring, I was pretty psyched up. Like, Titan was doing really great. I had stopped hating him. <laughs> I was actually starting to like the little bugger. Um, we were conditioning pretty well. Everything was going great. And then I had just finished um, 
a conditioning ride at my favorite trailhead, and I got a call from my mom that she had to call 911 and that my dad was in the hospital again. Uh, I just had a really sinking feeling about this one. So took Titan back to the barn, headed to the hospital, and proceeded to assist my dad in crossing over to the other side. Uh, dad was pretty considerate. The, his process ended up taking about two weeks, and, and it gave my brain and my heart time to adjust, and it gave me an opportunity to give some love back to him that he had given to me over the years. And But that was also two weeks of crying every single day. Like, I never cried in front of him, but every day for two weeks, I was just bawling like a baby. And then on May 6th, he passed. And it was even worse. I couldn't leave my house without crying on strangers, like really bad, like at the dry cleaners. It was it was awful. But I had written a pretty amazing eulogy and he deserved to have it delivered properly. I didn't want to start crying during the eulogy because then no one would hear the great things I had to say about my dad and it would just be a mess. <laughs> so I bet you're asking yourself, like, what does this have to do with endurance? Well, our first ride of the season that was scheduled to happen was that Mother's Day weekend. Um, so I decided to go ahead and, and ride on Friday and then deliver my dad's eulogy on Saturday. And the, the ride was terrible. It was freaking awful. It was freezing rain, cats and dogs the whole time. Titan was a mess. He was just spooky and angry and just horrible and everything sucked and I just kept thinking to myself just stay on the horse don't get injured because if you end up in the hospital and your mom has to be at that funeral alone she will never forgive you so I did my best to stay on the horse (laughs) and uh, we got second place got home safe and sound and that was the first day that I made it through life without crying it was pretty amazing, and it it was some sort of weird, sort of perfect storm, um, but it sort of cleansed my soul. And I, okay, that sounds cheesy, but it really did. And so I was able to get up there in front of hundreds of people and and really tell them exactly what my dad meant to me. So thank you, Titan. You gave me a gift on that one. Anywho, I've gone way over time, uh, but there's still way more to say, so... Stay tuned, maybe next month I'll give you installment number three of how I discovered distance riding. Happy trails, everyone. Hi, everyone. It's Victoria from Marvel Endurance in Queensland, Australia. Um, (laughs) We've got a bit of an update. Um, Adriana and I have uh, recently relocated to Toowoomba, so... Uh, we've left half of our riders back in Harvey Bay and we're now down south, so we're kind of spread out all over the place, but uh, hopefully this year we'll we'll get a bit more done. Okay, so I've got a little story that will go along with our um, crewing stories dialogue. Um, so in, in 2015, I had a little accident, which involved... <laughs> which involved a wander down into the paddock in a, at about uh, 10 o'clock at night in flip-flops. And um, at the time, I had um, just brought in a new horse for training 
a friend of mine had dropped her off that day. And down in my front paddock, I could hear this commotion in the dark. So I wandered down there. And as I'm walking along with my flashlight in hand, pointing in completely the wrong direction, I'm, I'm aiming upwards looking for horses, not downwards looking where I'm walking. Um, all of a sudden, I remember my landlord had been out digging holes and uh, he was planning on putting new fence posts in. So as I'm stepping, I'm thinking, oh gosh, there's holes around here somewhere. <laughs> and right as my brain thinks about these holes, I'm falling and I hear this crack and I have unbearable pain in my foot. I've now fallen in the hole. I've just missed stepping all the way over it and it's a good three feet deep. And yes, I've, I've broken my foot in the paddock in the middle of the night nobody to be seen I don't know how my husband found me I think I must have been screaming um, because about 30 seconds later I heard the car start and he was driving down the driveway looking for me so um, that involved a midnight trip down to the hospital but I digress we're now going to fast forward about a month I've um, I've been hobbling around on crutches this whole time. I'm not in a cast because I just don't do those sorts of things. I, I actually cut the cast off. Um, trust me, I'm not a naughty girl. I do actually have a very good orthopedic surgeon who was, uh, who was helping me out with this, so I had a, a moon boot on. Whether or not I wore it all the time is a completely different thing altogether, but we're not talking about my foot. We're talking about me hobbling around camp one day I'm strapping for Jasmine. It's her second 80k. We had completed a um, we had completed an 80 kilometer ride the month earlier at Kuya, and she'd come second and best conditioned in junior. And it was now a month later, and and everything had changed. So I was I was now hopping around on crutches, trying to get water and buckets and things ready. Thankfully, we'd camped with some friends of ours, so I was helping to strap their horses as well as I possibly could, considering I couldn't walk properly. Um, they were occasionally throwing me side glances, telling me that I really should be sitting down, and they're quite capable of taking care of the horses themselves, but, you know, I have to be involved. I can't help myself getting right in there, so luckily I didn't have a cast on at that point because my foot was saturated. Oh, boy. I'm really not a very good patient, um, and I'm not very patient, unless it's horse-related. So there was no chance in hell that I was going to be sitting down by the fire while everybody else had fun. Unfortunately, Jazz and Sahala, her horse, vetted out that day, um, not because of strapping. It was a, um, there was a lameness issue. She'd accidentally ridden over a cattle grid which I'm not sure if you have them in America or anywhere else for that matter. Australia seems to be the only funny kind of place that would have that sort of thing. Um, I've seen kangaroos stuck in them. I've seen um, emus stuck in them. I've had my stallions stuck in one. So they're not particularly friendly when it comes to horses and their appendages. So I was, I was quite terrified when I heard that Jazz had accidentally gone through one. It was unfortunately... Um, concealed by quite a lot of grass and not very well marked so she'd um she'd ridden over it and her horse was fine he, he had a couple of scratches he managed to jump over most of it thankfully but I think 
um, in the end it was just that little bit too much uh, exertion and stress <laughs> he vetted out at the end of the ride unfortunately so um, another crewing story this is actually quite recent and it wasn't at a ride it was while I was training earlier this year I'd taken my young gelding out for a good little run and I'd had just the most fantastic ride he was feeling so so great he was very fresh and we were learning um well I was trying to teach him how to collect properly and, and extend his paces best and um just as we'd come up the driveway at the new place um it's it's quite a steep hill so as we were cantering up there I managed to get about 500 meters worth of really good collected canter and I've haven't felt that since um, since I was doing dressage, so it was it was quite spectacular, and I was feeling on top of the world. Everything was wonderful. We hadn't gone particularly far or particularly fast, so I was expecting that he would strap quite easily. We um we came in the gate, and I pulled off his saddle and gave him a little a little bit of a sponge down, and took his heart rate, and it was eighty six beats per minute, which is absurd for him it was warm but it was not that hot and we hadn't worked that hard so I was quite quite shocked um that two minutes into coming back he, he was still very high and I thought oh he needs to pee he's one of those horses that constantly he's he's just got a very very small bladder and constantly needs to pee so he hadn't peed the whole time we were out riding which is very odd for him and I'm thinking, you little rat bag, you have crossed your legs. Just pee. Please, just do it. I'm, I was certain that his heart rate would come down as soon as, as soon as he did it. But he refused. So I was reduced to walking him up and down the driveway, just trying to keep him calm and slowing down and cooling him down a bit. And it just would not come down. So I started to whistle. We, we generally whistle to cue the horses to tell them to... to do a, a, a pee while we're um, while we're strapping them. Some of them are very good with the command, and others not so much. With Mizzy, um, he tends to pee just sporadically whenever he feels like it. He'll do it very comfortably under saddle, which not every horse is happy to do that, but he is. And I could I could see as I held the heart rate monitor on him that that it was dropping, but not very quick. And it was kind of hovering by this point. We'd been in about 15 minutes and it was hovering around the, the 60 mark. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what on earth is going on? Usually his heart rates are around the 40, the 40 mark very, very quickly. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And I had no idea what, I, what was going wrong. He still wouldn't pee. I couldn't let him eat because I was thinking, no, you're, you're a pig. You're going to just start plowing into that food and, and that heart rate is never going to come down and then I remembered that about oh it would have been the end of 2014 I was at a ride um, with Jasmine and we'd just completed the 40 kilometer and we were waiting to vet in so my horse was easy to strap he just he was 44 beats per minute no no lameness to be seen he was good but Jasmine's horse was just struggling a little bit and we, we couldn't work out why. And my friend's dad was with us and after about 20 minutes of strapping, he's starting to, starting to get a bit more worried. It was 
the heart rate was about 66 beats per minute and it just wasn't going down anymore and we'd poured ice water on him we'd walked him around he'd had a pee everything seemed normal other than the heart rate and then um Craig decided that um this was probably oh, I don't even know why he did it but he decided that it would be best to trot the horse out and he sprinted so sprinted with this horse came back and the heart rate was absurdly high and then all of a sudden it just dropped straight down to about 38 so it, it dropped about 15 beats in in the space of just a few seconds and I was shocked I couldn't believe it I thought maybe it was a it was a problem with the heart rate monitor but it, it wasn't and he explained to me that it had a lot more to do with the physiology of the horse sometimes they plateau and they just get into a, a state where their heart rate just will not drop and it it'll just take a long a long period of time to do that naturally so by trotting the horse out very fast and then bringing them back and stopping and checking it again you you get a better idea of whether or not there's a metabolic uh, metabolic issue or if it was just that the heart rate had plateaued so thinking back to that with Mizzy a couple of weeks ago I was I, I decided all right I'll I can't get this heart rate down. If we were at a ride, we'd only have about eight minutes left before we'd have to present to the vet. So, oh, oh hell, we'll just give it a shot. So, I picked him up, gave him a little, gave him a little snap with my lead, and we ran up the driveway and back again. And when I came back, his heart rate had just plummeted. It had been steady around 60 to 65 and every now and then he'd yawn and it would boost straight back up again and, or shift around and it would go straight up to the 70s again and then down. So this time we trotted out and when he stopped it, it was straight down to 38. And I thought, wow, that's more like it. That didn't take very long at all. But yeah, it, it, it had been four years four years since I'd last seen that be used on any of my horses so it, it took four years before it became relevant again but I managed to get to use it one more time hopefully I don't have to use it again but it's you know it's one of those things that you learn along the way and I'm I'm actually quite glad in a way that I got to use it it was pretty interesting and a bit of a freaky thing but I'm glad that it happened because it meant that I could learn something that would end up helping later on in the future and now that I've seen it happen with Mizzy it comes to mind that later this year if he doesn't seem to be 100% coming after in after a ride that maybe that is something that I may have to do it's good to have these sorts of things in your toolbox so I think it's a really good idea sharing our strapping stories and and learning from one another and Maybe there's a few ideas that we'll pick up along the way that might help everybody out. This is Courtney Kruger, and my endurance sport is riding tie. But when I think about crewing, I have to start with actually pure endurance because my first entry into the whole endurance world was when I agreed, probably somewhat grudgingly, to go and, uh, air quotes, crew for my wife at an endurance race way before I was interested in doing anything with horses. But she was doing a, uh, an endurance ride at Biltmore, and I agreed to go up and kind of help crew. I really was just going up to be a spectator. 
And I went up, but because I'm a guy, I was sure I knew as much about horses as anybody else. And so early in the in the race or before the race, she's getting ready. She's just gotten on him, kind of ready to go. And I don't remember if it was the edge she was on, if he was a little bit skittery or what. But I reached up to kind of try to uh, get control of him like she needed my help. And I grabbed his reins underneath his his bit there right underneath his chin and when I grabbed his reins and kind of pulled he resisted he pulled back and he actually reared up which was totally unlike him but it went completely up on his back legs and as he went up Lee came forward to try to, to get him back under control and his head slammed into her brand new helmet and broke off the a big piece of the visor on her brand new helmet. And then he came back down. I remember Lee saying to me or yelling at me from on his back, let him go, let him go, let him go. And our uh, mentor and trainer and just wonderful coach, Faith Connolly, just really let me have it. And she said, let me explain to you why you just had that accident. And she showed me how I need to grab the edge of the, the uh, halter instead of grabbing the reins. Uh, and kind of grab on the chin strap to grab the reins, but really I just needed to keep my hands off. I didn't know what I was doing. But I really enjoyed that day at proving, even though it kind of rained all day long. But hanging out with all of the folks in the camp, and then when the horses came in, and to just do the things they told me to do, which was basically being a go-for, go get this and go get that. But getting to see the way that, it, that the, the whole proving situation is almost like a NASCAR pit stop, and how all the attention is put on the horse and lavish on the horse. It was just really neat to me. And although I still didn't think I had any interest, it certainly uh, got my juices going a little bit, maybe in some ways that, that I didn't even realize. Later, and I've already told this story, when my 15-year-old daughter said, Dad, if, if you will learn to ride a horse, I'll start running, because I was already doing some running. And she said, we can be a riding tie team together. I agreed to do that more for her than for the sport. And as soon as we agreed to do that, my wife, Lee, kind of transitioned out of competing and into crewing. And as she will explain later, she really enjoys crewing better, even though it took me a long time to, to believe her about that. But she became our crew, and she, of course, has always been my coach. And everything I know just about, about horses came from her and about competing and the whole nine yards. Uh, came from her and even to this day she knows so much more about all that than I do and I'm so thankful that in some ways she put her endurance career uh, on hold uh, so that I could have a riding tie career and I'm so glad that that has has worked out for us. A couple of, of kind of funny crew stories I think that have happened uh, over the years. Uh, several years ago um, I, we were at Big South Fork and one of the things that Cruz, uh, her horse, who's been just our wonderful both endurance and riding to horse for, for a number of years. One of the things that he has learned is that uh, going to, to either endurance or riding ties are great for him because he gets pampered all weekend long. He gets to eat all kinds of good stuff, but he doesn't get to eat as much maybe at, at home, and he just gets a lot of attention. And so the night before the race, I gave him way too much alfalfa just because I was trying to baby him a little bit. And unfortunately, I really didn't realize that for Cruz, and I realized for other horses as well, alfalfa can kind of be like crack. And the next day, he was totally wound up. And the whole first loop, Terry Barris and I were doing riding tie together that day. We were the team, and we were fighting him tooth and nail because he just wanted to charge everywhere he went. And, and as soon as you would untie him, he was ready to go, and he was just almost unmanageable. 
And I got him back to the first vet check, and I rode in on, on cruise, that first vet check, jumped off a cruise, and I said to Lee, your horse is driving me crazy. I'm about ready to kill him. And she just looked at me like, oh, you're just, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you're just over-exaggerating what's going on. And about that time, Cruz kicked over a feed bucket and a water bucket. And he was just kind of going bananas inside the, the vet check area. And it, and she said, okay, maybe you know what you're talking about. And Cruz has always been a pretty calm, easygoing kind of guy. And when Lee got him over to the um, vets for the vet check and Carrie was ready to run him through the, the trot out and all that kind of stuff, he was just acting so crazy. The vets who knew him and knew his temperament said, what is wrong with this horse? Um, but it was all about really me being not a great uh, crew person by giving him too much alfalfa. But, but it was kind of fun to come in and, and for my crew chief to think I was crazy and then to find out uh, maybe not so much. Uh, another good crew story was this past year at the Rockmont Rendezvous in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Uh, this was the second or third, maybe the third or fourth maybe race in the riding tie season. And we were just starting to realize that our horse Coda that I've talked about before was just an incredible competitor and he was so fast and he was making me look good race after race but it's still early in the season and my brother-in-law mark and i were talking the night before the race and that race had brought in the all of the elite teams from the east and i think there were six or seven teams in that race and every one of them was an elite team every one of them had a, a more than legitimate shot of winning the race and i told mark if we finish fifth tomorrow that'll actually be an accomplishment uh, because we are just going up against the best of the best. And so we started that race, and we were going back and forth and back and forth across several teams, and we would pass them, and they would pass us, and we'd pass them, and they would pass us. And when we came into the first vet check, I had just completely lost track of, of where we were in the race. Usually you kind of have an idea. Are you first, second, third, fourth? You know, where are you in there? I really wasn't sure. I thought we might be second, but I thought there could be a team even farther ahead of what I thought was the, the second place team. So we might be third. And so I asked Lee, are we second or third? And she said, no, you're first. You're, you're the first team to come in. And so that really let, lit the jets under me. And for the last couple of seasons, I have learned that one way to really make time in riding tie is to have a really fast turnarounds at the vet checks. In riding tie, whoever rides the horse in has to run out. It's a mandatory switch at the vet check. And so usually I try to ride the horse in uh, and then I run back out. And I have started the last couple of years trying to say, I want my part of the vet check, if I'm riding in, to be 30 seconds or less. And the way I do that is I ride in and because I have a wonderful crew chief and Lee is gonna be right there ready for me, I hand her the horse and then I'm done with the horse. Uh, and it's my job then to get back on the course. And so what usually I have is a feed bucket for me in our vet check area. And oftentimes there will be maybe a bottle of coconut water or just a bottle of regular water and a, uh, a wrap that I've already made and put in a, a plastic bag. And sometimes it just has bacon in it or sometimes I'll put a wrap with asparagus and, and, and other stuff. It just kind of depends on what I'm feeling like that I think I might want for that, that race. And I grab the wrap out of the plastic bag. I grab the, um, the bottle of water or the coconut water. I, I stuff the water in a pocket in my hydration pack and I start running and I eat the wrap on the trail while I'm running. And then my, my runner, my other partner behind me will run into the, 
the vet check behind me and they get a little more rest sometimes but the idea is to turn it around as soon as you can and in riding tie there are not mandatory holds like there are in endurance and so as soon as your horse vets through you can get back out on the course and so uh, that's what we try to do so the rockmont race i came in came back out as soon as i could mark probably caught me i don't know a mile or mile and a half down the trail and we did the second loop and um, and we came in and we were in first place at the end of the second loop and so we actually got in and out of the second loop before uh, another team even came in and so the third loop was only about a five mile loop it was a real short loop and so we just said if as long as we don't completely screw up here we're way ahead of the other teams we just need to make good time but not make any foolish moves and not push too hard so we might hurt ourselves or hurt the horse and so we came back around and 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 finished the race uh and i think we're 20 minutes or more ahead of the next team which is just the best race that i've ever had and again it had everything to do with coda but it also had a ton to do with the crew because lee and uh, my sister-in-law alita landers were the crew and it's their job when the runners come in to get the horse ready to get the horse to the vet check a competitor has to take the horse through the vet check but they can get him all the way ready to that and so so that's what they try to do hello my name is aiden Nasketa. i am 14 years old and i live in medelia minnesota uh endurance started around 2015 I did my first ever 25s, and I completed both of them on Bullet, uh, Quarter Horse. And uh, 2016, I started getting more into it. I started going to more rides with my mom and her friend Leslie. And then I think I did all those rides on Bullet. But then after that, I started going to my real horse. He's an Arabian named Shadow. Very smooth, but a little spookish. Uh, and... Then I started really getting into it with my mom. I think I placed first in Mindra, and that was a very big accomplishment. And from there, I just wanted to go farther. I want to do my first 50 maybe next year, um, and I want my mom to do her first 50 on Diamond 2. That's my story. Hope you enjoyed it. Hi, my name is Crystal Esquela, and I live in Medillia, Minnesota. I'm 46 years old, and this is my first submission to the Endurance Horse Podcast. So please bear with me while I try to figure out how to do this. The weather here in Minnesota is extremely cold. We're in the negative 30s and 50s, 30s to 50s with the wind chill. School's been closed for about three days, and they will be starting tomorrow with a two-hour late start. It really has made it difficult to ride, so we have not been riding. Um, and we miss it. We are currently hoping to ride on Saturday or Sunday as the temperature will be up hopefully in the 30s. We ride usually, even if it's like 10 degrees, as long as the wind isn't bad. So hopefully getting back in the saddle will just make life great again. I have a Tennessee Walker Rocky Mountain Cross mare. That I started endurance in until she got a suspensory ligament injury, which kept her pretty much stalled for almost a year. Um, I'm currently riding my registered quarter horse. His name is Lopin and Diamonds, but we call him Diamond. And sometimes he gets called every name in the book, 
but for the most part, we've gotten to really get to know each other through this sport, and we've kind of built a way better relationship than we had when we started. Diamond is the first person who comes up to you out in the pasture. He wants to be your friend. And so I thought, oh, he'd be a great horse to, you know, try to start this endurance with. But we had a long road ahead of us when we started. Um, we got through 75 miles our first year. And then we did 80 miles. Um, we had a lot of problems. We lost shoes. We couldn't keep boots on. He had ulcers. He was bucking, spooky, uh, just a lot of things we really had to work through um, to be able to get down the trail safely and with purpose. I had joined the Green Bean Endurance, and we started um, being on a team with the Green Bean Endurance, and one of their things that they have you do is find a mentor. And so I asked Sarah Moss and Dana Gesner if they would mentor my son and I. Uh, my son is Aiden, and he is 14. And we ride together most of the time. Um, and it's been it's been a great, just a great thing to be able to do with your child and share this love of horses and trail. Um, my mentors have really extremely helped me thoroughly in every way possible. They've helped me figure out things with my horse that I just couldn't figure out on my own. And they've just been a great support and always have a kind word or something when you need it. The funny thing is, is my first novice ride was at the ride that they manage. And they happen to be people that know my friend Leslie from long, long time ago. And so it's just kind of really just awesome that they agreed to mentor me it's been, it's just kind of great. I love, their rides seem to be one of my favorites. From the first ride, it just, this sport just sucks you in. You're going down the trail, you're with good friends, good people, having a great time, spending time with your horse, and you just can't wait until your next ride. I think that's just what has kept me going, and just the idea that you can accomplish these things with your equine partner and spend the time with your family and your friends. It just keeps you going back. You just like it gets in your blood and you just can't stop. I have always loved horses since I was a little girl and would ride anytime I could. It's just it's just amazing. I think the horses give you such a a freedom. And my horses have helped me cope with a lot of things, um especially my PTSD and it's been it's just they are my therapy. I mean, if you need anything and you go to your horse, you go to the barn, you go to do chores, you do whatever, they're just always there for you. And being able to be there for them and take care of them and go down the trail and watch them be successful is just, it's just icing on the cake. My goals would be to eventually ride a hundred mile ride someday. And yes, the big word. Tevis would be an awesome thing to accomplish, you know, down the road, especially since I am from California and it would just be like awesome to go back home and compete in an endurance ride where my roots are. Currently, we've been riding 25 mile, 30 mile, 35 mile endurance rides, just the limited distance. And this year we must have found the niche because 
Diamond and I have been able to go down the trail and complete our rides, all but one this year. Um, and he's just, he's just amazed me. Um, we were able to complete a back-to-back 25 LD and a back-to-back 30 LD this season. We had the amazing fortune to take second place in the limited distance, um, division for Minnesota Distance Riding Association. And in Umecra, I got number 11, which you don't get any award for it. But for me, that just seeing him, his name up there and seeing that him and I were number 11, I'm just like, yeah, go 11. So proud. Um, especially after two years of what felt like ultimate failure. Every time we went to a ride, there was something else. Um, I doubted myself. I really thought I couldn't do this endurance and I was, I was ready to throw in the towel a couple times. Um, I'm glad I didn't because it really does teach you that if you really want to get where you want to go, you've got to find a way no matter what this trail or life throws at you. You just got to keep pushing along. Um, I would like to try my first 50 this year and I'm hoping that I can do it. Actually, that we can do it since there's no I in team and he really is my partner. Um, my mentor thinks we're ready to try. And so if she has faith in me, I should have faith in us too. Um, I'm hoping to do it this year, maybe at the first ride. I don't know. We'll figure out how it goes right now. We don't have a truck, and that was a kick in the pants that happened just a few weeks ago. So that'll be another adventure. I am looking forward to hearing all your stories on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy meeting my son, who's also submitting a podcast. And I hope to see you on the trail. Hello, this is Carrie Barris. I'm in the southeast region. Um, I started doing ride and tie in 2013, and I did my first endurance ride in 2016. Um, I've done a few LDs, and this past season I did my first 50-mile endurance ride, but I mostly do ride and tie. And I have sort of a crew story for you. It's a little bit different, so... Hopefully you don't mind um, bearing with me, but I wanted to um, share a story about this past year and about how the Ride and Tie um, family and endurance families have been uh, my crew, not just on the trails, but also in general um, in my life. In April, um, I lost my husband. He had a heart attack suddenly, um, completely unexpected. He was only 43 years old and it was obviously traumatic and tragic and, you know, words can't really express what that meant for me. And a couple things about that day and my ride and tie family really stick out to me. And the first one is that One of um, the first people I got in touch with, or or first two people, were Lee and Courtney Kruger. And um, I'm not even sure what the message was that I sent them, but I know that they were sitting down 
to dinner when they got the news from me. And um, I can't attest to what they said, only, you know, what um, they did, which is basically, you know, stopped what they were doing right in the middle, took their food to go, and drove to my house. Um, They live over three hours away, and they were here and spent that night with me. And um, if they hadn't been here that night, I would have been, you know, alone. So, you know, other family and friends were on the way and such, and I, I, you know, had people around me. um, But them, you know, coming here and spending the night that night just meant so much to me that they would drop everything for me and do that. Um, And also, I um, had originally been planning to um, spend that day and the next day doing a Ragnar relay with another group of ride and tie friends, but um, I'd had to cancel earlier in the week because uh, my husband and I were supposed to be traveling to his grandfather's funeral that weekend, which, um, you know, it was obviously a very, very rough week for our family. Um, But anyway, I was um, supposed to be doing this Ragnar relay with them, and I couldn't because of the funeral, and then, you know, obviously they were um, staying in touch with me while they were starting this relay to um, communicate, you know, they were missing me and wishing I was there, and so, of course, you know, I then had to tell them what had happened, and, um, you know, they were saying that they were sitting there deciding what to do, you know, should they just quit running and, and, you know, come to me, or... You know, they weren't all that far away, and um, anyway, they they decided that, rightly so, to keep running and to, you know, be mindful of what I was going through, but also, you know, me being a runner would want them to still be out on the course, and so I got, you know, very wonderful and kind updates from them, and um, at the end of the race, they were just sending me, you know, very loving photos, and they, you know got some things for me from the race, um, in honor of what, you know, I was, I was going through. And, um, in, in general, the support of everybody I know through Ride and Tie was instantaneous and amazing. And, um, we held a memorial a few days later and, um, Courtney actually, um, officiated, if that's the word you would use, um, the memorial service for me. Um, you know, he was the only person I could think of who would be perfect for the job. So, and, and he did, it was perfect. Um, and also, you know, many people from the Ride and Tie community came to the memorial, people who'd never met my husband, um, but knew me just to be there to support me. And that was truly, truly fantastic to have them there. Um, you know, people coming from all over the area just to be there you know, for me, um, you know, even, um, people coming from far away, like Illinois to be there. Um, so that kind of support is, you know, exactly what you need when you're going through a tough time and that kind of family, um, you know, crewing for you, not just when you're out on a course, but, you know, through your life and through the ups and downs is, just as important, more important than them being out there on the course. Um, you know, these are people who have opened up their homes to me, their hearts to me, 
um, offered me love, lots of, uh, lots of Oreos and given me their horses to ride. Um, I'm sure I could have survived the past year, uh, without them, but I'm so glad that I didn't have to. Um, they have been so wonderful. Um, everyone, even, you know, um, ones that I haven't mentioned by name. Um, and you know, um, I'll end this on a, on a funny note, so it isn't all sad, but, um, my husband, Anthony was not a horse person and he knew that, you know, I'd been into horses since I was a kid and I didn't get into ride and tie until after we were married. So I can't really say he knew what he was getting into, but I think he did. Um, before we got married, we went, I took him on his one and only horseback ride with me. Um, it was, you know, a place where you can, um, rent horses and, and go out and ride. It was in, um, Hawaii and we, um, get to the place where we're, you know, getting set up with the horses and, um, there were all these other people there and everybody who was kind of getting set up at the same time as us had ridden before. So Anthony's the only one who's never been on a horse before. And there are like, you know, seven and eight year old kids with us. And he's just, I have this wonderful photo of him standing in front of the horses, getting ready to ride. And he just looks so nervous and, and, you know, kind of bummed about what I'm making him do. But he was game and he, um, you know, got up on his horse and its name was Skippy. And I remember at one point we were riding through this big field and <clears throat> I look over and he is, his horse is just walking off towards a gully by itself. And so I turn my horse around, catch up to him. And I was like, where are you going? He's like, this thing won't listen to me. And I was like, don't worry. They don't always listen to me either. That's normal. So one of these days, we always say, you know, Courtney wasn't a horse person and, you know, he, he got convinced by his daughter. And so I always thought one day I'd eventually get Anthony out there again, but, um, I never got the chance to. So anyway, he, he supported me endlessly and, you know, he was, he never crewed for me because, you know, like I said, horses made him him nervous, but, um, he was, he'd been to a couple, um, rides and he also, um, went to the, went to the finish line of endless races where I was just running. So, um, you know, as far as crew goes, um, you know, that's, I know it's not really a traditional crew story, but I hope you'll forgive me and indulge me, um, in this. So thank you to all of, um, my ride and tie and endurance friends who have, Again, let me ride their horses and given me love this past year. Um, it is much appreciated, and I hope you all know that. One other quick story was at Yellowhammer last year, and one of the risks to having a 30-second uh, uh, turnaround when I come into the, the, the bet check is when, when the runner goes back out, there's, of course, no guarantee that the horse is going to pass the vet check. And if the horse isn't, doesn't pass the vet check, then the runner is out there running, and they're going to essentially, if, if they're not careful, run that entire loop all by themselves and not even get a completion out of it. And at Yellowhammer, that almost happened to us. 
my partner that day was Joe Bellafato, and I think there, there was a 25-mile race, and we'd already done a 12 or so mile loop. And I did my 30-second vet check. I'm back out. I'm on the course. I'm running. And I thought I would probably see Joe. He'd probably catch me at mile one and a half or maybe mile two. But I get to one and a half, and I get to two, I get to two and a half, and there's no horse. And I'm starting to wonder, you know, is something going wrong back there at the vet check? But I don't know. But we were in first place when we came through the vet check, and I think there was only one or two other teams against us that day. But one of the teams was really hot. A, a couple of women that were just really, really good team, and I was worried that they were going to catch us. And so I kept running. Uh, as hard as I could, thinking I've got to make as much time as I can because if they're having trouble at the vet check, if they can get that horse back out, I need to be as far down this trail as I can go. One of the neat things about Yellowhammer is they have ham radio operators who are at the road crossings, and they kind of keep track of the competitors, and they kind of let you know what's going on and, and whatnot. And so I get to the road crossing, and I ask the, the radio person, do you know if riding tie one or riding tie two, whatever our, our number was, if if that horse vetted through and the person said, I don't know, if you want to wait here a minute, I'll radio back and find out. And I said, no, I don't want to wait. I want to keep going, but I do need to know that. How far is it to the next ham radio operator? And they said, I think it's two and a half or three miles. And I said, OK, well, if you don't mind, find out if RT1 or whatever my number was made it through. And if he didn't make it through. Will you send a truck or, or send somebody to pick me up at the next uh, ham radio spot, the next road crossing, so that I don't have to run that far? And they said, yeah, we'd be happy to do that. And so I kept running, and I got to mile you know, two, two and a half, three, three and a half, and I really was thinking, holy cow, you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid that my horse hasn't made it. But I'm also really afraid to stop running because in case we might you know, still be in the race, I didn't want to be the reason that we lost the race because I stopped and started walking. And somehow I was still ahead of those other uh, that other team. And every time an endurance horse would pass me, I would say, hey, have you seen any runners back there? Seen riding die teams? And, and toward, I don't know, mile three and a half or so, somebody said, yeah, there's a couple of women, I don't know, maybe a half a mile or less behind you. And I thought, oh, my goodness. But it wasn't too long after that, and I heard hoofbeats coming behind me, and I turned around, and there's Joe and Coda. And Joe told me that Coda had uh, probably stepped on a rock or something and had a little bit of a bruise, a little bit of a, of a lameness at the vet check. But they worked at it on him, and they got him going again and, and thought we were good. And so we switched out, and when I got to the ham radio uh, spot, uh, they saw me, and they saw the number on the horse, and they said, well, I guess you found your horse. And I said, I sure did. I sure am glad that I did. And it was kind of neat that they were – they were keeping track, but that's one of those things where the crew may know something that you don't know. And fortunately, I have never actually had a horse get pulled at a vet check uh, at the beginning of the race or at, at the middle at a mid-race vet check. And so I haven't ever had to run a whole loop all by myself. But that day, I thought that I might. Hello from the frozen tundra of Wisconsin. Tara Leroy checking in with a little story I'd like to share that was taken from my early entry into the endurance world. 400 miles. To many of you listening, 400 miles is a mileage achieved easily and routinely throughout your career. To others just starting out, it can seem like a lofty goal that you'll never reach. And for some, like the little girl I'm about to tell you about, 400 miles can be just enough. I met young Jessica when she was seven years old. And when I first saw her, I saw a tiny, wide-eyed little girl longing to touch a pony. And that's all I needed to know about her. 
What I didn't know was that her parents saw a tiny little girl that had been fighting for her life since she was just a baby. What I didn't know was that at 10 months old, she was diagnosed with a rare immune deficiency, a genetic disorder for which there was no easy cure. Her body couldn't fight simple infections or fungus. Her liver was enlarged. She was drastically underweight and underdeveloped. The doctors had told her parents that she most likely wouldn't make it. So the doctors prescribed a cocktail of medications to try and help her fight the many lesions and ulcers she had to help her keep down food that she was too sick to eat. They kept her going. My age four tests showed that her calcium levels had plummeted and now threatened to stop her heart. Stanford Children's Hospital in California was able to pull her through yet again. But by age five, her liver was exhausted from all the medications that were meant to try and save her life. She was clinging to life another year. By age six, she was tiny. She had no energy, no coordination, no balance. She couldn't do all the things that a normal six-year-old girl could do. She couldn't ride a bike. She couldn't play catch or say her alphabet. She was shy. She had few friends, no, motiva no motivation, did poorly in school. Her family worried about her constantly. At the suggestion of the doctors, they moved her from California to North Idaho, hoping that maybe the clean mountain air might be easier for Jessie's health to deal with. But they still made routine treks to the specialists in California to help treat Jessie. One day shortly after Jessie had moved to Idaho, she saw horses in a neighbor's pasture. And the neighbor, seeing that look that we all know all too well, let Jessie climb aboard and took her for a little walk around the corral. Well, her parents saw a flicker of light, a hope that maybe, just maybe, she finally saw something that, that sparked an interest. And it was shortly after that that I met Jessie for the first time. Her parents had been given my name by a friend, as someone who might be able to help. I had taught a lot of riding to countless girls over the years, working in riding stables, and I'd also worked with a lot of handicapped kids, and I've witnessed firsthand how much good horse therapy can do, both physically and mentally. And it just so happened I had a pony whose rider, my little sister, had outgrown him, and I'd been using him to give a handful of riding lessons to keep him busy. Little did I know what he would be able to do for this little girl. Jessie told her parents that she wanted to learn to ride horses. Her parents were torn. They weren't horse people. They didn't know anything about horses. And they debated the risks. They considered her fragile health state. But ultimately, they listened to the doctors whose advice had told them, if there's something she's interested in, let her pursue it. It might help. So ultimately, they decided to take advantage of the one thing that she had shown an interest in, and they decided to let her learn to ride horses. So she came to me. I didn't have a fancy barn or an indoor facilities. Jessie learned to ride in the elements, go out in the pasture and catch her own pony and brush him. She learned to clean his hooves. We didn't have mounting blocks, and I didn't pick her up and put her in the saddle. She learned to climb up by grasping the saddle strings and pulling herself up. The pony she had to ride was named Danny. He was a little done pony. Looked very similar to the, to the horse from the man from Snowy River. And then we always called him our little Snowy River pony. He was maybe 13 hands, tops, and he looked like a little miniature racehorse. He was all business and he would happily work all day long. 
He'd completed several 25-mile endurance rides previously with my sister, and he would go all day long in the mountains. So when Jessie said that she was ready to head down the trails, I knew Danny would take good care of her. It wasn't long, and I saw Jessie's confidence just grow by leaps and bounds, and her parents shared that that confidence was now carrying over at home and at school. Pretty soon, she was riding bikes and climbing trees, and she was doing better in school and, and making friends. But then winter came calling, and the lessons were halted to wait for spring. But her parents were so impressed in the difference that the pony had made that they bought horses so they could learn, and they could start riding with her and do the horse thing as a family. And when spring rolled around, Jessie and Danny picked right up where they'd left off in the fall. I saw that she was stronger, and the tears had been replaced with smiles and lots of giggles. Pretty soon, our one-hour lessons weren't long enough for her, and we started spending hours at a time riding the trails, and we were riding faster and faster, and Jessie was definitely addicted. That summer, at one of her routine checkups at Stanford Children's Hospital, the doctors were amazed at the change they saw in her. They even eliminated almost all of her medication, and they marveled at the power of the pony medicine that she'd been taking. I'd only discovered endurance a few years prior, and it didn't take Jessie long to convince us that she wanted to try it too. So in the year 2000, I coached her and her mom to condition and enter a 25-mile limited-distance ride in Oregon. There were 46 riders that started that race that day. Jessie probably finished 16th overall in two and a half hours. And a few weeks later, her and her mother completed another 25-mile ride, this time finishing seventh place. She was the first junior this time and earned a Best Condition Award on a hard mountain course in Washington. Pretty soon, she proved to be braver than even me. So after just two 25-mile rides, she decided she was ready to try a 50. Her mom wasn't quite ready to go there, having just learning how to ride herself. So I agreed to sponsor her, and together we entered what would be the first 50-mile ride for both of us and both of our horses. I'm sure that day we looked like an unlikely team. I was riding my 16-hand thoroughbred and still learning, and little Jessie was on her tiny little pony. We hardly looked like what most of the other endurance riders did. Danny had been taught as a safety precaution over the years, I'd trained him that he was not allowed to ride with his nose going past my stirrup. Prevented him from getting in front of me and getting away. I had discovered quite accidentally that he was extremely fast and had really been the only horse I'd found that could match strides with my thoroughbred in a gallop. So it didn't take him long to figure out that when Danny or his junior rider wanted to pick up the pace and go faster, he would nudge my stirrup, knowing that by making my foot hit my horse's side, my horse would automatically go faster. So although we weren't planning on a top 10 finish in our very first 50, I was not surprised when we learned that Jesse and Danny had actually finished the race in second place overall. As I remember throughout the course of that ride that my foot was nudged frequently by the little pony. She was the only junior rider that day, and she bested nearly everyone, including myself, as my horse didn't actually get his completion that day, cramping up in the vet check before his final vet out. But I was proud, and I was amazed at her toughness that her and Danny had shown that day. We did one last ride that season. We did a 50-miler ride. There was 48 starters, 
and she tied for third place overall, was the first junior to finish, nearly an hour ahead of the closest junior competitor. Now, over the next two years, we completed six more rides together. She topped 10 in half of them, besting 40 to 50 riders at a time in many of those rides. Jessie weighed in with all her tech, hitting the scales at a whopping 65 pounds. But yet, she might be mighty. She was a full-size force to reckon with on the trails and was fearless and unstoppable. Her and Danny earned the respect and admiration of everyone that rode with them. And most, I know, never knew the battles that she had fought or how the pony had actually helped save her life. Jessie was no longer the shy, frail girl that cried frequently and had no confidence and no balance. She would proudly stand in front of an audience to collect her awards and smile brightly. She was no longer afraid. She was no longer frail. She was a horse person. She was a rider. I was so proud to have been able to help Jessie have the opportunity to shine. And some of my fondest memories I have are the hugs I received from her. And I cherish those memories to this day. So now when I ride with my daughter, who is now also nine years old, I feel especially grateful for the opportunity. Because I can't imagine being told that my little girl isn't expected to live. And as I look at other juniors on the trail, I can't help but wonder if their sponsors know just how special those miles together can be. And I wonder what stories they'll have to tell in the years to come. I'm proud to say that Jessie has grown up and is a beautiful young lady with a good life ahead of her. And although she doesn't get to ride anymore, the 400 miles she did proved to be enough. She hopes to be able to ride again someday. And though thousands of miles separate us, we both agree that someday we will ride together again. Hi guys, it's been a while since I've updated. This is Kat from Marvel in Australia. What I'm going to do today is I've actually got my ride history open and my plan is to just talk through my whole ride history and Christina, please feel free, cut me off whenever I'm rambling about any particular ride and you can kind of split them up between your episodes later. Um, so anyhow... We talked about my very first ride that was at Bigenden. It was 40Ks back in 2015, around about July. Um, that was, I was socially awkward, scared of my horse and really unfit. That was basically the summary for that ride. But I, I don't know, endurance is still pretty catchy all the same. Actually, yeah, I remember from that last podcast going, I'll tell you why I stuck with endurance, but I can't remember right now. Well, anyway, I did remember, and it was to do with teaching, actually, funnily enough, and often still is. I found with my work-life balance that I had none, basically, and so I remember sort of saying to myself that I just needed to have something. I needed to have some kind of commitment that would forced me to put something in front of work. And so for whatever mental reason, endurance was the thing I chose for that. Um, but floating was still an issue and getting places and the whole socially awkward thing, that, that was all still an, an existing issue for me. So I didn't do another ride um, until there was one really close by. And that was the following year. And actually, funnily enough, Victoria pretty much organised that one because it was run at Maryborough. And... Oh, that was set to be like one of my favourite ride bases. We've only had it um, two years, so we had it 
2016 and then in 2017. And I love it because Maribara has like these amazing equestrian facilities set up. So there's stables. So you don't have to set up a fence. There's heaps and heaps of camping. It's just really organized and easy. Um, but obviously I'm not an endurance aficionado or anything. So lots of endurance people don't like that. Um, they don't like not setting up yards and not, not having yards. So it wasn't a popular ride base and it hasn't, it didn't manage to get enough numbers to actually stay on as a ride. So that's, you know, really disappointing. But anyhow, (laughs) point being, I did that ride. That was my first ride back in 2016. So that was March, 2016. And with, the Bigenden 40k having been so ridiculously painful I was not in a hurry to do another 40 kilometer ride by any stretch of anyone's imagination but I don't think I really credited myself enough with how much training I was doing at that stage at home because uh, even though I hadn't gone to another ride since that Bigenden 40k it had been really motivating so I had been doing a lot more rides at home so I was doing sort of just 20k rides on my own, sort of, you know, every weekend or so, or after school, not every day, God, not every day, I'm not that organized, um, but yeah, I was doing a lot more riding than I was before I went into the Big Indian Ride, so when it got to Maribara and the 20Ks, it was actually 23 kilometers when I look at the, uh, the ride history here, that was really, really easy, and it was just fun, I rode it on my own, um, and because a like a 20k ride, I think the minimum time for that was two and a half hours. I remember it having a really long minimum time. Um, and so that was like because Maribor is a really flat area of Queensland generally, it was just a really easy track. Like it was just a nice, pleasant cruise around. It was a little bit of trotting, mostly walking. We did it barefoot. Um, and yeah, I think I was so far sort of me and a bunch of people, but we were really like ahead of the two and a half hour before we could come in thing. So, you know, I sort of just cruised in for that last half hour. Like she literally just ate the whole way in. And so it was a very easy ride. She had really low heart rates. Uh, it was just good. It was nice. Um, and so that gave me the confidence, I guess, then to go and do something straight after it as well. And so as endurance tends to do, you you feed off of the the motivation of one ride getting you to the next one. And um, that was one of the other things I actually really loved about that ride was because it was like this really randomly thrown together ride, like it was put on by the Big Indian Club but organised by Victoria. And so they kind of just had a collection of completion prizes that was from every other ride. And so the completion prize I got for the 20Ks was like this really nice shirt, which I still wear now. So yeah, that was a great ride. I just, I enjoyed it. It was laid back because um, it was only a half an hour drive from home. So I think I forgot a saddle pad and drove home to get it. <laughs> uh, my dad actually came with me to that one. So that was nice. And I had bought a float by that stage. So I bought a single horse float, which a lot of people are like, oh my God, don't buy a single horse float. You will crash it and die. Um, but Touch wood so far so good with that. I actually really like the float. It's the nicest, like it's just really easy to drive compared to some of the double floats I've tried to drive and maneuver around. So yeah, I've still got it. It was only kind of going to be a stopgap type thing. 
but yeah, now that I have it, I really like it. I'm going to find it really hard to switch over to a double float because they can be a bit of a pain in the bum to tow. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that was my recap for Meribara. Well, Lee is just the most amazing crew chief, most amazing coach, and I just couldn't do Ride and Tie without her. I can't imagine doing it without her. We're kind of unique in that because in the, the the whole equestrian world, you know, women competitors really outnumber the the male competitors. But but in our the way that we do it, she's really the crew, and and I'm the the competitor and even on our training rides and runs it's her job to keep the horses kind of conditioned it's my job to kind of try to keep my body conditioned for riding tie and so we'll go out lots and she'll ride the horse and i'll run and a lot of people in our area know us more than we know them because we're this weird couple you know one's running and one's riding and and that's a lot more unique than just people who are out for a ride and so they'll remember us and and i'll see somebody and speak to them and they'll say oh yeah i know you you're those that crazy riding tie couple or whatever but our other wonderful crew member is Alita Landers. And my, my main ride and tie partner now is Mark Landers, who is Lee's brother, my brother-in-law. And Alita is his wife. And Alita is somebody that I would describe affectionately as fastidious or meticulous in ways that I just am not. She is very interested in things being done correctly. And she's also very interested in things be done cleanly, everything be clean. And I'll never forget early on visiting their house. I have been married to Lee Long. And she said, now, when you finish showering in our shower, I want you to take this little squeegee and squeegee out the whole shower. Now, that's a great thing to do. It keeps soap scum down. I understand it. It makes things nice. You don't have water rings or whatever in the shower. But that was totally foreign to me. Uh, and I thought it was a little uh, unusual as well. But that's just kind of the difference between Alita's personality and mine. And so, although we've never been openly hostile, we haven't had an awful lot in common. And yet, the last couple of years, Alita has really chosen to move from being a spectator in Ride and Tie to really being a full-on crew member. And she's an amazing crew member. And so, Lee is going to tell a little bit about how Alita got into uh, Ride and Tie now. Okay, so this is Lee Kruger. Um, and I was going to tell you a little bit about my sister-in-law, Alita Landers. Um, Alita got started helping crew because Mark, her husband, um, wanted to compete with Courtney. And um, they had been competing maybe a couple of times, and then Alita said she wanted to come. And at first I thought, well, okay. But uh, she did. She came, and she um, participated and watched and enjoyed herself. And then she decided she really wanted to learn how to be a crew member and how to help. And so... Uh, she kind of was asking questions and trying to figure it all out, but really wasn't 100% sure. And I'll never forget her telling me, well, when we were at Big South Fork one day, we were sitting there waiting for our team to come in, and, I, and she was watching another team. And she was watching Karen Isaac's team. And it was Karen and Thomas and Beth, and Madeline was helping. And Madeline was about mm, seven years old, maybe, at the time. Well, their horse came in. And Madeline was picking up a sponge and helping cool the horse and helping hold the horse and feeding the horse and just doing everything she could to help. And they went back out and they did real well. And Alita turned to me and she said, if Madeline can do that, I can do that. And I said, sure you can. And so ever since then, Alita has jumped in and learned how to do everything she needs to do to help 
um, you know, help the guys get through their vet check and get out as soon as they can. And one of the huge things she does is she turns to me and says, did you remember to electrolyte the horse? Because I always think that I'm a wonderful crew person and my huge failing is to forget to electrolyte the horse at the midway vet check. Well, Lee, uh, this is Courtney again, of course, and I'm interested in the fact that while I'm out riding and competing, you're in camp uh, doing whatever it is that crew do. And so tell me, what is it that you do from start to finish, start of the day to the end of the day? What are you doing as a crew member? What's going on? Okay, well, we wake up in the morning and uh, I always uh, think about you guys that are going to be riding the horses and be the competitors because uh, for about four or five years, um, I was a competitor in endurance, and then when our family got more involved in riding tie, I became crew and discovered how much more relaxing and how much more I liked being crew rather than competing. So I'm always a little worried about you guys when you get up when I get up in the morning and hoping that y'all are feeling good and that you're not too nervous. Um, but then, of course, we start the, the business of getting the horses ready to go. And uh, I try to make sure I electrolyte the horse in the morning, try to make sure that, uh, you know, earlier, way, way, way earlier, the horses had, had some breakfast before we get started. But then we start getting ready, and I'm always asking you questions like, uh, did you put the vet card in the saddle? Uh, did you put uh, water in your uh, water bladder that you're going to be carrying on your back? Uh, did you remember your helmet? Uh, all those things that I'm always afraid you might forget that, that you might really, really need. And then another thing I'm doing is I'm watching as we're tacking the horses. And oftentimes we're running two horses, not just one. And so uh, I'm making sure that the horses are getting the correct tack on each horse. Uh, one of the things I always do is I always tie the, tie the the rope that we use to tie the horses to the tree has to be tied to the horse's halter. And we use a bowline. And I happen to be the one in the family that can do that the best. My daddy taught me how. So I, that's always one of my big jobs is to tie that bowline um, to get the tie rope on the horse. Um, so anyway, we get the horses ready. And um, then as we're getting ready to go to the start, um, I always want to make sure that you checked in with the uh, people that you're supposed to check in with. Um, if it's a ride and tie standalone ride, we don't always do that. But if we are uh, riding with the endurance folks, you have to do that. And I'm always worried that we'll forget. Um, and then I'm kind of the, the mom and I always want to make sure that all the other teams checked in too. So I always make sure everybody did. Um, once y'all get going, of course, that we, um, are cheering for you and hoping that you're doing well and we get you all out on trail and then all of a sudden it's very quiet. And so I usually turn to, um, Bob Health Bridal and any of the other people that are going to be crewing and go, well, okay, when are we leaving? if we have to go to an away vet check. And so uh, if we do, we'll often ride together. And so we say what time we're leaving and we get all our stuff on one truck and, uh, you know, we make our way out to the away vet check. And even if we're not at an away vet check, um, riding type people tend to crew very close to each other because we all help each other out um, as we crew. So anyway, we get there and, and then uh, we, we set up our little crew area and then, of course, I've got my watch on, and I know how long the first loop is, and I know about how fast you're going to be going, and I know what time you left. And so when it gets to be about time that I think you should be coming in, I'm, I'm watching for you to come in. And uh, that's what we're all doing. And so we'll keep an eye out, and then when we see a team coming in, we'll call 
for the people that are crewing for them and say, hey, your, your, your team's coming in, get ready, go, go help them out. And, uh, and then we do, of course, as I said, help each other um, as, as our teams come in. We crew for each other. And then uh, as we get you guys through the vet check and send you all back out, we, you know, then we go back to the camp and get ready for you to come in at the end. And that's always fun, watching and waiting for you to come in at the end. Again, we're watching our watches because we know about when we should be expecting you. And we always think, okay, we know what order they were in at the midway vet check. I wonder if they're still in the same order. Uh, and it's always fun to see if you still are or if, if somebody's passed each other out there on the trail. So that's always fun. And then we always cheer, and Ride and Tie has the best cheering section. We don't just politely clap for you when you get in. We hoop and holler. And uh, I, I just think that's wonderful, and, and we do. We always enjoy doing that for each other. And then we always camp close to each other as well. And so at the end of the day, we always get together usually at one person's trailer and tell stories and tell jokes and tease each other about mistakes they made that day and have a drink and just uh, have a really good time together. And so that's kind of from start to finish what it's like to be a crew person. Hi, my name's Bree. I live up on the North Devon coast. I've got a Connemara called Loki. He's 15 one hands and nine years old. We've got endurance in the last year. I've got Elder's Danlos Syndrome and Raynaud's. And then the EDS has also triggered fibro from having to be in, living in pain for so many years. And we've had to quit jumping because of that. Now, we used to event a lot, show jumping, cross-country. We did the dressage because you had to for a one-day event. We were pleased if we got, you know, into the 50% of marks. Now, we wanted an outlet. We wanted to still compete in something. And last year, my friend recommended that we came along to the Golden Horseshoe and did the pleasure ride with her. So... We worked on the training, we made our hacks longer and longer. We only sort of ended up doing half the distance at the time, but the horses coped amazingly. We're both on native ponies. See, I've got a Connemara, she had a little fell pony, and they coped amazingly well. I really struggled. I think I've never been in so much pain while on my maximum painkillers. And halfway round, I was desperate to give up. I was close to tears. If every jerk of movement or anything was shooting agony up through my hips. But when I came across the finish line, I had probably put more work and more effort into getting round that ride than I ever had getting round a course of jumps. And I thought, this is something I can really push myself with. Loki had absolutely loved it. He had been in his element, um, having been bred in Ireland as a as a hunt horse. He was there. He had a whale of a time. And so this year, our aim or our first aim for the Golden Horseshoe, we're going to do it again. We did say we weren't going to do it this year, but because I'm going to push and, and compete. We said we'll do the Golden Horseshoe, but we'll do the Pleasure Ride and do it at an endurance pace this time. So we're going to up the speed. That in itself is going to be a challenge. Um, I'm actually hacking the distance of it nearly. Um, 
about once a week. We do a, a long, long ride and we almost get the Golden Horseshoe Pleasure Ride distance, but we're slow. So between now and then, I'm going to push on getting that pace up and getting my body able to withstand a lot more trotting. I'm going to make a few more adaptations to my tack. I'm looking at using a Western saddle so that I've got the security. As one thing my friend noticed is as the more tired I get, the looser my legs get, the more useless they get. And I lose my balance in the saddle and that's obviously going to make it harder for Loki. So this weekend I'm actually swapping to a Western saddle. I'm going to put my endurance stirrups on that so that I've got um, a large degree of flexibility in them. And we're going to do probably about 20k on Saturday like that and see how we get on. See if I'm in less pain when I get back and how my recovery time is and things. So that's the plan so far. It's a bit of a struggle around here because... It's been raining constantly for a couple of weeks now. We haven't had a single day of just dryness. So our bridleways are either thick mud that is just too slippy to try and go up at anything other than walk, or the mud's been washed away and it's stone. So again, although he's now shod, um, yeah, I will always put my horse first, basically. And I'm not going to try and get a time and risk pushing him over stones. So we've got the advantage that we have to do a lot of road work around us. So he's very used to the hard tarmac. He has hunted a couple of seasons and so he's done a lot of trotting on tarmac. His tendons are pretty solid. I'm not going to stress about those too much. So... Our aim is, if it's uphill or flat, we're going to trot it. (laughs) Um, I will always walk downhills. I can't, even on the hunt field, I wouldn't do it (laughs) anything quicker. I haven't got the nerve, I don't think. Um, So we're going to see how that goes. We're going to work on upping our speed now. I know we can do the distance. I know he's more than capable of that. But we've got to get the speed over it. Um, we have a fantastic bridleway where we are that must be, gosh, it's got to be over a mile in length and it's all uphill and it's steep uphill. It's not, um, you know, a gentle incline. And we've always said that that's the test of their fitness. And we have been riding for about three hours before and we hit the bottom of this bridleway and I just felt him pick up underneath me and I thought, he knows what happens here. And I let him go and he powered it to the top. He didn't miss a beat. I didn't have to ask him to keep that counter. He just did it. And I thought, yeah, we're getting our fitness here. We're well on the way to being ready for those endurance rides this year. So that's the plan. (laughs) Um, Where we can get any cantering, we're going to be cantering. We're going to trot when it's hills or flats. And I think in the coming weeks, we're going to be taking a trip to Woolacombe Beach. And we're just going to have a nice long canter along there, sand allowing. So, And then get some of the, the hills in, in the dunes as well. I think it's always a fun one. 
Uh, definitely going to be needing the horn on the western side or going up those. The one thing that I do want to make sure I get in in this podcast, and I'm sorry if it goes over time for saying it, well, no, I'm not sorry because it's something that really needs to be said. I've come from an eventing background where people look down their noses and somebody's always going, yes, when you knock a pole or your horse refuses a jump. You can do the best round of your life and come out of that ring absolutely elated and somebody will put you down or somebody will go, oh, God, did you see that? Or they'll look down their nose at your kit, what you're wearing, what your horse is wearing. Now, I went to the Golden Horseshoe last year and there must have been hundreds of competitors and crew members and volunteers and organisers and not a single one ever made me feel not good enough to be there. In fact, they were completely the opposite. Every single person that we came across that passed or passed us on that course said, hi, how are you getting on? Are you enjoying it? You know, good luck, you know. Oh, do you mind if we pass us? We're, we're going for our gold. Yeah, go for it. Go on, get on. You know. Good luck. Hope you get there. Thank you. You know, those sort of exchanges in a competition environment, I've never come across. And that speaks so much for the endurance world and the competitors and the crew members and the people organising it. And I think every single one of you needs to be so proud of that fact. Because I turned up and I didn't have the gear and I certainly didn't have the idea. (laughs) But nobody cared. Everybody just wanted everybody else to have a good day. All right. Don't ever, ever lose that. Because I cannot wait to move up competing and, and pushing ourselves in such an amazing community of people. Good luck for this season. And if you see us out and about, give us a wave. Hi, it's Crystal. And this is Aiden. From Medelia, Minnesota. It's about 25 degrees out. The wind is picking up. And we decided to take the horses out for a quick a quick walk. And just for any of my winter friends who have missed hearing this sound, just listen. Oh, how we've missed that clunking of the hooves. It's pretty frosty right now. The visibility is not very good because of the warm front that came in. But we are enjoying a ride. Aiden, how's your ride going? Very good, but I'm very cold. Yeah, he's not got the right shoes or socks on, so he's kind of suffering, so we're cutting this a little short. But we are getting freezing rain tonight, so we decided to get on our horses, no matter what the weather, because it may be a couple days or a while before we can ride again. Until we meet again on our next adventure. Hope to see you on the trails. Bye. Hello, this is Chris. I hope you enjoyed riding with us on that virtual loop. If this was an actual ride, we would likely be going into our first vet hold right about now, and many of us would be welcomed by the smiling faces of our family or crew. This episode was to be about crewing, 
Though the one thing that was highlighted to me from all of the audios I listened to and edited was that no horse is easy, we all suffer loss, most of us experience healing through horses, and many of us are blessed to have found friends who are just like a crew for us in our actual life. Just knowing that they are there waiting to pick us up if everything goes sideways surely means a lot. A distance ride is a lot like life. And Courtney, I think there must be a sermon in that somewhere. Much love to you all and happy trails. May your stirrups always be the same length and your boots stay dry. Until next time, this is Chris. Bye. We enjoyed having you along for the ride. Endurance Horse Podcast is where you get to share your adventures of riding good horses through beautiful country. Many stresses in life are washed away by a good gallop, a steady trot, or by simply saddling up your favourite horse for an easy ride. Remember, every mile a memory.